Dear Father, thank you for this evening that you've given us to be together as a church family. It's good to come midweek um, to be refreshed. Lord, even in the few days since Sunday, we will all experience so many different things, highs and lows. Um, some of us will feel like we're walking closely with you and um, experiencing victory over sin and, and so many things that we rejoice, but some of us will be really struggling in other ways and um, feeling dry. Um, but thank you that we can come and feed, feed on your word and help each other with that as well. We pray especially tonight that you would speak to us and help us see with more clarity what it means to work and to labour for your glory and for you, especially in a difficult world. Help us to be sensitive to each other, to really serve and love each other. We know that, as we learn from 1 Corinthians, that just to use knowledge in a way that doesn't care for each other, there's no point in that. But you want us to most of all, love each other. So I pray that tonight will be about that. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so cultivate our series on work and uh, vocation. And so, like I said last week, we're going to be focusing quite a, little, a lot on jobs and things like that. But we're all in different situations. Some of us don't work, some of us studying, that kind of thing. So think about your roles in life. Uh, the things you spend a lot of time doing, things which basically aren't your rest time. What, what, what do you do? That's what we're thinking about. Last week, we uh, were thinking about how we are created to cultivate. And um, we said that the, the word that best sums up what the Bible's vision is for our work is cultivation, to cultivate. And we use this definition. definition. Cultivation is caring for and developing God's world for good. That's that kind of big definition of, of work, of cultivation. Caring for and developing God's world for good. So you saw that God cultivates, that in his creation work at the beginning of the Bible, he, God takes what is chaotic and, and empty and he tames it and fills it with life and order. And he creates this world with so much potential. He's, he's finished it and it's good, but there's potential for more. And so he makes humans and he gives us the task of cultivating. So God cultivates and we cultivate in our work. We're given the task under the loving rule of the chief cultivator to carry on his work in the world of taking that potential, all that's in his world, all that he's made and using it for good, for the good of others, to obey God. And what that looks like, as we began to think about last time, that's actually a very big and broad thing. What work and taking what is in the world and using it for good, that's, that's a really broad thing which all kinds of different roles in life fall under. And you've got to really engage your mind and your imagination to think about what it means to cultivate in our different roles. But I think when you do begin to see work, not as just a mere necessity, but this vision of doing good, taking what is here and using it for good, I think it injects a real vision into our everyday. So any work can come under this. So a doctor aims for the flourishing of life by taking what is chaotic and broken and seeking to fix it and help that person live a more flourishing life. I, I met a fridge designer this week. Um, he's an engineer, works for a fridge company. So to design a well-made, ecologically friendly, effective fridge so that your food can last and you can eat it and enjoy it and have chilled cold milk on your cereal. That is a good thing. In, in designing these fridges, he's cultivating for the world for good. And we, we thought about more examples last week. So work isn't a necessary evil. God does it. We were made to do it. And we saw that Jesus did it. 
Jesus worked. He spent his life doing good. He worked. He laboured day after day in God's world for God's glory in everything he did. That's the Bible's vision for work. So that's it. Off we go. Out into the world and cultivate. So we all know it's not that simple. That's kind of week one. That's the big vision, but you're going, not so simple. My daughter Rosie um, got some DVDs for her birthday. And there's a programme called, conveniently, Everything's Rosie. I don't know if any of you, you probably haven't. This is very niche to me. Everything's Rosie, and it's not everything's Rosie. It's all really nice. And you, this vision of cultivation can feel a little bit like, oh, everything's Rosie. Go and be fruitful and do things. And it's, do it all for everyone's good. And it, it, it might feel a little naive, right? So you're like, okay, God, this go cultivate like I cultivate is all very well and good, but God, do you understand that that's easier said than done? You know, God doesn't have my colleagues. He doesn't have to commute on the district line for an hour in the morning. He doesn't have Ofsted breathing down his neck. He doesn't bump up day after day against his own limitations like we do, or the limitations of others. You know, if my role in life is to cultivate this little patch of my life, this little bit of garden, well, it feels like a, I'm cultivating a gravel pit sometimes. Well, you'll be pleased to know that God does understand. And more than that, he helps us really understand why work can be so hard and what he's going to do about it. So tonight we're thinking about this. Work is cursed to frustrate. So we're created to cultivate but today we're thinking about being cursed to frustrate. Now, I think within our room, um, if we all stood in a line, we could probably sort ourselves into two ends of a spectrum when it comes to our experience of work. Um, over here, you've got people who are kind of nodding along big time when I'm talking about how hard work is. You're like, yeah, work sucks. And it feels like I'm cultivating some kind of little gravel pit. And you're the person you maybe live for the weekend. You know, that Friday feeling is what you go for. You get to Monday and you're like deep breath, get through the week, Friday, everyone relax. Work has to be endured. You're 23, you're considering early retirement, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> On the other side of the spectrum, you feel so much like you're cultivating, you're like the Alan Titchmarsh of your job. You just, that fell flat, he's, he's a garden person, <laughs> right? You, you, you're, you're so motivated in work, you've got this great vision for how it's going to simultaneously make you money, Solve world poverty and make you the person you were made to be. You know, that's, you're feeling it and you get, when I'm talking about the cultivation thing, you're like, yeah, I see it and I feel it. I'm excited about it. Where would you put yourself on that spectrum? For some of us, that might vary day to day, whether we're like, it sucks or yeah, go cultivate. Sometimes it's job to job, season to season of life. I want to speak first to the, I'm cultivating so much, I'm like, the Harrods of garden centres on steroids. I'm just, I'm so cultivating. Okay, I want to talk to you first. And, and this is the first thing we need to see. That work is cursed. You need to remember that work is cursed. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Page 5. Genesis chapter 3. So God had put humans in charge of his garden to cultivate it his way and for him. That was, that was the vision for Adam, to work and take care of this beautiful place under God's care, under his rule, to fill and subdue it, just like God. 
chapter 3, verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, certainly die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Go to verse 14. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll bring birth, give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. Uh, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Stop there. So Adam and Eve, uh, this, this is what we have in, in our picture. I'll just go back for you so you can see it bigger. It's like, instead of the arrow being focused on God and cultivating and working for him, the, the arrow, the goal, the focus gets turned in on them, on themselves. The cultivation, and that's why we have this in the, in the picture, turns into decultivation. Decultivation. Remember chapter 1 verse 28, what the vision that was, um, the vision that was given to them. Um, God bless them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over a living creature that moves on the ground. So rule over every living creature. That's what the chief cultivator wanted. Hu- under him, humans to rule over everything, over the living creatures. And along comes the snake. Named snake by Adam, whatever language he spoke, because remember he named the animals. And you see how Adam and Eve then fail at the very first hurdle of being the cultivators and ruling over God's world because they listen to the snake, the creature, rather than the creature, the snake, listening to them, which is the way it should have been as they ruled. So already you see the decultivation is it's crumbling the order that God made it to be. And the snake in what he says goes for humanity's role as cultivator. He tempts them to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Verse 5 of chapter 3. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is, having authority over good and evil, what it is. He basically says to them, you will be chief cultivator. If you eat from this and you have the rule over how how life goes, what's good and evil, you'll be chief cultivator. He takes the God-given roles that humans have of cultivators, works of the world, and he basically makes that look second rate. He creates essentially job dissatisfaction in them. Why settle for being cultivators when you could be chief cultivators like God? 
Be your own boss. Be your own line manager. Cut out the CEO and take the reins of the firm of life yourself. This is the lure and the lie of sin. That we can single-handedly make the world a better place, cultivate it, without God. That's the lie here. You can do a better job without him. Think about how this kind of decultivation shows itself in your, in your work, in your life. Imagine this. Imagine if God's laws were obeyed in your workplace. Wouldn't it be a different place? Imagine if just the Ten Commandments were the only rules your workplace had and everybody kept to them perfectly. How much more of a place of flourishing would it be? Think about it. No lying. No lying. No shading the truth at all. No withholding important information that you should be sharing. No saying anything false about another person. No putting down another colleague. No rubbishing the reputation of another department or another firm. No coveting what others have. No manoeuvring to take their role. No sitting around slagging off others while envying what they have. Those are all just basic things in the Ten Commandments. Imagine if that was lived out in your workplace. But Satan got us to believe that God's ways were the problem with work. And flourishing would happen when we threw off his chains. Of course, it was a lie. The reality is decultivation would set in and then end in death. And, and then we get the curse itself when God responds to what humanity has done and places this curse upon the world. Because Adam and Eve bought into this, bought into this life without God, that would lead to decultivation, God said, okay, decultivation you'll get. So, look at verse 14. Rather than um, humans ruling over creatures, you see the snake here, striking out against humans, the enmity between you and the woman and your offspring, so all children. And then, in terms of family, rather than us happily filling the earth by having children, these fruitful families... The cultivating work of having children would now be one of, I mean, get the language, your pains in childbearing will be very severe with painful labour. I mean, stack up the words. I've been in a room where labour was happening, I've not been through labour, I'm being very careful to say that. <laughs> There's a lot of pain involved. I mean, it's serious. And, and giving birth is such a, a fruitful and cultivating thing, but it's one of the hardest things in the world. And then, and then there's the, the, the family, you know, husbands and, and, and wives now meant to be a place of, of flourishing now, a kind of angst and rivalry against each other. And then we get the work stuff, turn over to verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you eat, we will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, to dust you will return. So getting food from the ground is going to be like cultivating a gravel pit. A gravel pit, which is chucking back at you things which have the express purpose of making your work even harder. Thorns and thistles. You notice that? It will pro- the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. Huh, funny little language. It's like, here you go, humans. Have some difficulty. It's like... It's just there. It's, it, it's against us. These thorns and thistles, this image of the kind of spiky, hard, tightening grip on everything that wants to grow. 
And then this thing of you will work, you will sweat, you will work, you will work, you will work, and then you'll die. That's kind of life. You're born, you grow up, you work, you work, you work, you work, you work, you die. So we've got animals, children, mothers, marriages, work, all cursed to frustrate us. So with the rejection of the chief cultivator comes the loss of beautiful cultivation. So what are the thorns of your work? In our study, you're going to think about that a little bit more. What parts of your work are just straightforward toil? I mean, that's the only word for it. Now, maybe, do you remember we talked about the two ends of the spectrum? Maybe you're all excited about cultivation, and I have just burst your cultivation balloon. You know, talking about all of this. Well, it's the thorns and the thistles that burst the cultivation balloon. It, and it's important that we all face up to this. Work will be immensely hard and sometimes just straight up pointless. And some of us need to hear that. Because maybe your roles feel so right and the road before you of possibilities and advancement and your kind of valuable contribution to the world feels so promising that it can begin to promise you too much. Your work might be promising you too much. And when your work begins to promise you too much, you're in danger of making a little god out of it that's going to let you down. So I want to take your beautiful big cultivation balloon and remind you that because of your sin and the sin of those around you, there are thorns that are going to constantly prick and push in on your cultivation dream. Work is cursed and if you forget that, you'll begin to expect too much from it. And you'll crash when it fails you. And I think this is tough to have this perspective in our culture. At my old university, the phrase was on all of the lampposts throughout the campus, stay here, go further. If you can get the right education, get the right job, then you'll go places in life. And there's some truth to that. But that big shiny balloon of work satisfaction is going to go quickly get squeezed by the thorns and the curse. So... Remember the work is cursed and don't expect too much from it. Okay, that's people over there. What about those of you who are on the other end of the spectrum? You don't have a shiny big balloon of hopeful expectation for your work. You feel the thorns and the thistles and you feel like they well and truly punctured your enthusiasm for your role and your work. You're, you're not like the big shiny balloon of joy. You know, after a party, like a few days later, you get the shriveled little balloons. Like all the air's gone out. That's how you feel. Like, that's that's you, right? Okay. I want to remind you of this: that work isn't a curse. Work isn't a curse. It is cursed. There are thorns, but work in and of itself isn't a curse. It's not that God made the world to be this big leisure park where we all just chill out and relax. And then the fall happened and he cursed us by inventing work. Now we saw last week that work is what God does, it's what we were made to do, it's what Jesus does and it's what we're going to spend eternity doing. So what's happened is that something fundamentally wonderful has been gripped and twisted by the thorns of our curse. And remembering that stops us from losing hope or expectation that work, work can actually be fruitful. Work can be fruitful. We can and do still cultivate this side of the fall. Don't miss that in the verses. Look at verse 17. Even within the curse itself, there is hopeful expectation. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So it's going to be through painful toil, but you will eat food. It'll be there. There will be fruit from it. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. You see, so it's, there's going to be frustration and it's cursed, but there is still expectation from fruit. And actually, if you skip down to chapter 4, so Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden from God's presence. But look at this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, this is God giving fruitfulness, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So they're fruitful in some ways. You know, they're having kids, and that's a gift from God. And they work. Abel's shepherd. Cain, much like his dad, remember, works the soil. Adam works the garden. He works the soil. And he has fruits to bring as an offering to God from it. Do you see? The fruitfulness is still there. But through the curse. Work is cursed, but work itself is not a curse. It's good, it's still possible, but it's frustrated. So I want to say this that living for the weekend is just as bad as living for your job. Living for the weekend is just as bad as just living for your job. Living for your job as the big thing, ultimate thing in your life, expects too much from work. But just living for the weekend expects too little from your work. The antidote, antidote to that idealism about work isn't to have a kind of scathing cynicism about work. And our culture is kind of funny because while on the one hand we do tend to idolise work and see it as this thing that's going to fulfil us, we also are incredibly cynical about work. My guess is that the number one pastime in your workplace is probably complaining about work right isn't that odd we're like work 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 and then we get there and we're like it sucks it sucks it sucks i'm going to complain about everybody but we're to be different because of what the bible tells us and helps us understand well we can name and own yeah things are hard about work and actually we can even explain where they come from they come from us that's that's where the difficulty comes from But unlike so many of those we work with, this shouldn't descend into constant complaining. Because we can value work for what it is, a gift from God. And something more. We can go to work every day, not only avoiding the too high or too low expectations, we can go to work with hope. This is the last thing I want to say. Jesus takes the curse for us. Jesus takes the curse. Because when humans came face to face with God on earth, Jesus Christ, what did they do? They took the curse of thorns, twisted it into a crown, and thrust it on Jesus' head. Ever wondered why it's thorns? It's because it it is the curse. It represents all of our troubles, all that we deserve, all that we've done wrong. So whatever frustration, whatever pain you or I experience in our lives and in our work, Jesus came to bear that curse on himself so that one day we could be set free from it. The daily curse of work isn't the end of your story. Jesus endured the pain of thorns, the cruel human invention of the cross. And he did that to secure for us a new life in a new world where all things will be made right and we will cultivate forever. 
So Monday morning for you might be good. You might be really bad. But it can be hopeful because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, Christmas is gone, but we often sing this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And we get to begin to experience that now as Christians. We're going to think more about that next week. And we will enjoy it perfectly in the new creation. Let me pray and then we'll get into our studies. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to start by confessing our part in this. That just like Adam and Eve, we think that we can make a better go at this world and our lives without you. By ourselves, with our own human imagination and efforts. And Lord, we look around, we look inside, we look at our own pasts, uh, we look at what we've even done today and we just want to admit that we have made an absolute mess of it. Others have hurt us and failed to love and do good to us. We have failed to love others and do good to them. And we confess and admit that's because we have ditched you, the chief cultivator. You know what you're doing. You've given us this beautiful world and we've wrecked it. And we are sorry. And in that way, Lord, we want to own the consequences of the curse. That what we all experience in the frustration day to day is it's because we deserve it. But I praise you that the Bible doesn't end at Genesis 3. Oh, there's so much more. And we want to give you thanks this evening for the Lord Jesus Christ, who came as a human, like Adam, but so much better. Thank you that he took that curse on himself. He took those thorns. He was nailed to the cross and he rose again to give us new life. Not so that we could work and do stuff to impress you and earn our way back into your good books. But he has done everything necessary to make us your children. To bring us forgiveness. To change our lives and to give us a new eternity. So Lord, I pray that as we... We try and navigate life now in all its difficulty. And as we help each other now to think about it, please give us wisdom. Help us to have the right expectations for our work. Help us to know ourselves and what we tend towards. And I pray that we would all leave here with hope because of all that Jesus has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.